Um, did I tell you about the bathroom at school? Mm, the bathroom incident? Maybe. Elaborate. Okay. I'm lying. Well, you did, but I want the audience to hear about it. <laughs> okay. I remember messaging the minions immediately after being like, how do I come back from this? I feel like I can't. So in all my classes are in one building and the building is six stories and the bathrooms are staggered in kind of a strange way. So some floors have both gender bathrooms. Some of them only have one. So depending on what your floor you're on you might have to go three floors to go to the bathroom that you want to but i learned in the basement there is a gender neutral whatever like a family i don't know if you can be an alien and it's fine if you use it so uh, i i found it once and i'm like this is great this is awesome it's tiny it's a single thing it's small so i had thought this would be like my new go-to bathroom and uh one time i was so i think this was probably two weeks ago at this point it took me this long to tell um or, or talk about it with really anybody because i was still recovering from this <laughs> but i go <clears throat> i go i was studying in the lounge i go i'm like okay i gotta use the bathroom i go to the bathroom and i go to open the door and i now know have after this incident that there's a light that you can tell if it's on inside first so now i just won't even attempt this wait there's a light wait there's a light in the bath like above the bathroom no like there's enough of a gap under the the door oh i thought i thought this was like an airplane lavatory bathroom where it was like it could tell you and it was like this is a fancy school (laughs) i love that no that'd be great because then this wouldn't happen so i go to open the door and it starts opening and i get it probably mm, a foot and a half open so significantly open and i see a girl and she's not on the toilet thank god but she looks at me at first with panic in her eyes and then it turns into this space where you would have thought i was peeing with my pants down and i was just this pervert who like was doing the wrong thing and then she slams it shut like she's i don't know i don't even remember exactly what she says but she's like well you know like a panic so anyway I start walking away, but as time goes on, like there's five minutes and then 10 minutes. And then I start thinking and I'm like, why do I feel bad? Why am I the one that feels terrible? I didn't do anything wrong, but she looked at me like I was the ultimate pervert in this situation. And I've just wrestled with this. And I feel like I, well, I needed to talk to some, I needed to say something. <laughs> Wait, so, did, did, can you lock these doors? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it's yeah. on her. That's my exact point. Yeah, yeah. No, it's entirely, it's a single user bathroom. Just think of Starbucks, where it's your bathroom, you lock the door, and when you're in there, and that's why I liked it. I mean, that's why anybody wants to use it, because it's a truly, like, it's almost like a at-home experience type thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, so she didn't lock it, and this is her fault. And 100%. I'm going around continuing my life feeling this guilt for opening the bathroom on this girl who didn't lock it, and I feel bad, and I don't know how to live with myself now. That's on her. <laughs> I remember you telling the story, but I don't. I don't remember like the, the details of how she like slammed the door on you. Yeah, and like <laughs> I had um, a similar experience. I think it was in high school. I went to the bathroom and I walk in and I just remember thinking, "Where are the urinals?" <laughs> I was like, "There's a lot. There's a lot more stalls in this room than I remember." And then I looked at the sink and there's this girl who's washing her hands and then she just like looked at me through the mirror and i looked back at her and her, our eyes met and i just remember going like oh light bulb like this is i verbalized i said this is the uh the girl's bathroom and she just like goes yep <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, it makes sense. And then I just like walked out and <laughs> just left. But like, I didn't feel bad about it at all. I was like, whatever, I made a mistake. I, was like, I think you handled that as, as well as you possibly could. I don't know how you do that even better. I like I think if you just go through life and you, you make it apparent that you people make mistakes all the time, just acknowledge your mistake and move on. People don't understand that you made a mistake and walked into the wrong room. <laughs> just say it. <laughs> like they don't understand. That's on them if they don't understand. Lauren, for my situation, the girl's face is just burned into my brain because and there's like not enough time to recover and like explain or change anything. It's just I have to live with this. I have to live with this. Like uh, I feel bad, even though I'm not usually a person who's like it's not my fault. Like if it's my fault, I'll take blame. I'm I'm totally down to do that. But I'm like. You didn't lock the door, girl. Don't, <laughs> don't look at me like this. Yeah. Anyway, you're saying Lauren. Oh, um, I started off with Lauren, but I was going to start it off for a different reason. There, there's a well, Lauren. And I do go to um, a fair amount of clubs, and there's always a super long line for the girls' bathroom, mm. and there's never a long yeah. line for the guys because we just pee in a trough. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like guys, so, so sometimes girls are like they'll be brave and they'll just skip the the girl line and walk through uh go to the go to the guy's bathroom and they'll just find a stall that's open because most guys aren't using or you know they're not pooping at a club um so they'll just use the bathroom and like i've i remember i've been going to the bathroom and like one girl like kind of walked in there like kind of you know just checking things out and i was like hey the stall's open you could just go into there and then she's like oh like thanks like i'm just I didn't want to like, I don't know, be weird or whatever. And I was like, you're just making it more weird by talking. Um, <laughs> like, just go use it. I think everybody will understand. But then it was like, girls' lines are like a mile long. Like, they just like wrap out into the club and it's just like, oh my gosh, if you want to pee, it's going to be forever. Yeah. And then Lauren was telling me that that's what, exactly what she did. We were actually at Gay 90s, uh, like the super big gay club here. Uh, massive. It's like, I think it's like famous, but we were there, dude's bathroom. There was no line, maybe like one or two guys just waiting to use the urinal and then the girl's line was so freaking long and lauren went into the guy's bathroom and she's like i'm just gonna go in into the stall and then, so she went and she was she came out and she told me that there's this guy and i was like whoa whoa this is the guy's bathroom like kind of like winged out because a girl was walking into the room and i was like dude it's 2022 at a gay club like if the bathrooms aren't unisex already i don't know what the deal is <laughs> i was like i have no idea why they're even like segmenting these bathrooms in this club mm, yeah so, makes sense so yeah, I was like, if anything, you're the weird one here for like being at a gay bar and being like, oh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to share a bathroom with a girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's on you, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, well, welcome back to the Everbros Show. Yo, uh, that was our uh, our tangent for for this opening. But uh, we've got a, a more serious, irrelevant topic to discuss today. Um, irrelevant to the bathroom story. Uh, it's irrelevant to probably the reason people actually listen to this yeah so So, uh thanks for listening to our stories but today's topic was on labor hours so we actually did cover this a little bit in episode four regarding pricing your services so always talking about pricing your services based off of an internal labor rate if you're productizing if you're charging by the labor or by hour then yeah this is probably definitely more important for you but if you're if you're kind of taking our approach with productized services and you have just your set costs then it's really important to understand your internal labor hour allocation and not just how much your internal labor rate is and there's a couple points to this too that we'll get into but there's just um there is 
a lot there are a lot of problems that a lot of companies face with labor allocation and that's usually with growing and scaling is you start off being scrappy people are doing internal work and they're doing client work and then you get to a point where you start to explode and you start to take on more clients but then you're faced with the problem of uh, how many people do you need to hire do they need to be part-time or full-time and what can you pay them and Mm. if you know your labor hours internally and you know how many labor hours you need to account for for each account then that'll kind of give you a blueprint to growing and figuring out how many more people you need to help uh and then also you know even if you can raise your rates or if people can take on more hours but yeah cody you've like pioneered this for us though yeah and i think we could back up for a second too just in case some like people don't understand why agencies are good to start from zero so when you think of a business that you can start and let's say well, let's assume you don't have money, right? Because we, neither of us were exactly rolling in it when we started doing this. And uh, we would have been extremely limited in multiple ways with the types of businesses that we could start just simply because we didn't have equity. Of course, now there's different ways if you need money that you can go about getting money. You can go to the bank, you can get a loan, you can go get you know backed up by investors, all those sorts of things. But say you genuinely just want to bootstrap something from zero, well, then your business options are very, I can't say very, they're limited and they're probably limited to you know, labor and, and your labor, especially your labor if it's just you starting. So that's why agencies kind of rock is because you can go from zero to worth something and not just something a lot. It can be substantial later on. But if you don't immediately, uh, maybe not immediately, if you don't start thinking and begin to grasp that your time is your inventory when you are an agency, then things will get out of whack relatively quickly. So uh, we've, we thought you mentioned how in the previous episode, we talked about the different business models that people use. So we won't go over that again. Check it out if you haven't listened to it. But uh, I will say so Let's say if you bill directly, then you know immediately what your labor hours are because you're billing clients immediately for them. And then you can say, okay, well, this is how much we're billing. If it's on a retainer, then you know we've got uh, 200 hours a month or something like that. But if you productize a service like we do, then you need to find out an internal equivalent of how much time you, generally speaking, dedicate to client. So I say generally too, because that's kind of, we love productized services. That's why we talk about them so much is it is flexible. If you have an account that's doing especially well and isn't requiring a ton of attention, you don't have to use the entire amount of time you internally dedicate to it. If you have one that's a trouble account, and we've talked about this recently too, uh, you can spend more time than what you might um, have originally said. So in a very simple way, let's talk about uh, maybe a base package that you could have. And let's say it's a basic SEO package. You dedicate uh, eight hours or 12 hours a month, and that's how much you're willing to do. And you sell it as a product as service. So internally, based on whatever your labor rate is, you, well, you can do it either way. You can do it one way or the other. You can work it in either direction. So you could say, okay, well, I've got eight hours to dedicate to this. And I'm just starting out. Um, I could charge a little bit less, that sort of thing. And if I have eight hours and I want to make, let's just do simple math, 800 bucks um, in that eight hours, then I need to have a labor rate of $100 
an hour or the inverse, right? Let's say you're, you're working it backwards. I'm selling this service for 800 bucks. How much time can I dedicate to this on average between accounts? So then you'd say, okay, well, 800 bucks. If I do eight hours, then it's probably out here. I just had a brain fart. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is embarrassing. I'm like, math, come on. Wait, so if you have, if you're hundred bucks an hour and you have eight hours and you do eight hours, you spent, you allocated $800 of internal labor rate? Yeah. But it was, I think it was flipped, right? If you, if you want that rate of a hundred dollars an hour, that means you, you dedicate eight hours to it. So then you can, you can adjust your flex it either way. If you want to become more profitable, get more efficient with your time or, you know, so just generally speaking, that's Yeah. So like if you, if you allocate eight hours and you only, you know, you only do four hours, you essentially have a net profit of $200 an hour on that account. Yep. Yeah. So I want to talk about a little bit further, though, and this is a very technical way to think about it. And I think that's a good thing and how you should think about it. However, you also need to consider the fact that you're working with people and the people are the are the ones actually doing the labor. And so you can reduce the finances to understanding a very systematic process, but you can't go to people and expect them to just work like cogs in a machine. It's much more complicated than that. So I say this because um, at the agency where Jake and I worked, I once had a manager come and want us to do a analysis on how much time we spend on a particular task. And I assume because she wanted to uh, determine like a an ideal rate and how to scale this, right? So no explanation was given. I don't know why we were to be expected fair, to do to this. To be fair, it wasn't like just, unless it was early on before I came on, it wasn't just her department that was doing that. It was like every department. and But the way they were going about it was so stupid. Yeah, like you got to explain what's going on. <laughs> don't don't assume people are just dumb. And if you also don't explain why it's happening, we do this with tracking time. And this is extremely important because I will be the first to tell you I hate tracking time, hate it so much. It feels like micromanaging. It feels like I don't, uh, if I ask other people to do it, it feels like I'm giving the impression that I don't respect them, that I don't appreciate and value their time. And I, I every time always remind and tell them, we are not doing this to micromanage. The goal of this is not to uh, be deep into your life. It's to make sure that we are doing what we need to, to be profitable, to pay people accordingly, and to keep the business in a good place. And I think if you don't explain those things, like when I received that, because I, I, I remember, I don't think I ever told you this. I told my boss, because this came from even further up. I told my boss, Britt, at the time too. There was, it was about content writing and they asked us how long it took us to, to write something. And I wrote in all caps. I just wrote, I don't know how long it takes for me to be creative. And I just didn't answer. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently that was a deal. I didn't know that until later that that was like problematic, but I didn't answer um, <laughs> that. But, yeah, I mean, there's but, a there's a bit of a more professional approach to take to that. Oh, <laughs> undoubtedly, there's a better I, way to do it. Yeah, I I mean, I always say that. Hey, if if we ever look at timesheets or or hours, it's not because we are um, trying to see if you're working enough. It's literally to see if we're pricing our services correctly. So we never look at it from like an employee perspective. We look at it from an actual cost perspective. So mm-hmm. it still feels weird because I still feel like I tell that to the minions and like they still probably think that, oh no, well, they're part-time. So yeah, I am making sure that they're meeting their hours at part-time. Okay, but part-time is different, yeah. With full-time, it's like, I know you're full-time, your salary, but like I'm not looking at your hours to see if you made hours. I'm just 
looking to see how many hours this client had on, you know, are we spending too much time on them? But I still feel like they don't trust that. I still feel like, like, no, they're looking at my hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And for full time, it is different because then you can get to the point too of just, okay, well, is everything else okay? Is everything else good? Because if so, I don't care. We don't care. It's not something to care about. If if all other things are good, then that's not a sticking point. But it could be if, if other things aren't good, and then that, that's also a pointing out to like, okay, well then why aren't they? And it's probably going to show up there in some way or other. So, so anyway, I say that because uh, that was a situation where I, I don't even know how that played out other than it wasn't good because either the, there's layers of this. Okay, I'll just keep going. The simplest way to think of it is, well, what was happening there was we were overworked <laughs> and and something was wrong with the number of hours that was expected of people and somewhere along the process something went wrong and too much was demanded and expected and it was not reasonable now why i don't know i wasn't important enough to know i was a minion i was a peon i was just doing my job and I got to the point where I was doing 60 hour weeks and was like, I won't do this anymore. Um, so, and I know that's normal in many agencies, but we don't do that. So <laughs> we don't want that to be normal because that's not a healthy way to live. Yeah. I mean, especially in, when you're making garbage. In theory, yeah. like when someone's salary, even their part time salary, like you pay, like, I mean, it's illegal in the US, but like if they were overseas or whatever, you paid someone, I don't know, uh, 200 bucks a week or something. And like that was a salary and it wasn't like an hourly thing. And you can really exploit that person forever. And it doesn't, your labor rate doesn't really matter because it's what you're paying somebody to render a service. And, you know, the more work you can get out of them, uh, the better. However, this, I, I guess our topic is more about, you know, allocating labor instead of labor rate is like two different things. So, like, allocating labor is one, it, it shows you where you can grow and add employees. And the other thing, the other side of that is making sure that you are allocating enough labor to individual employees to where they don't hate themselves and they actually have a very healthy uh, work-life balance and then client work to internal work balance. Sorry to interrupt. You were on a good topic. I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, no, um, I can't remember the original thing, but that was another point that I wanted to hit on. So I'll keep going with that. Um, So at my next agency that I was at, uh, when I had originally started the internal billable rate for minion time was 60%. So uh, to keep it simple, let's say uh, if you have a 40-hour work week, then that would mean, uh, I don't have a calculator, I'm doing this in my head, 24 hours. I think 24 is 60% of 40. Um, You would spend on client time, and then you have 14 hours for internal time. I'm talking meetings that aren't directly related to clients, um, developing systems processes internally Wait, maybe internal marketing 16 hours right yeah what i say 14 yeah yeah <laughs> idiot um call yourself I'm a, a coo I'm, a today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be good at math and i'm over here like <laughs> but anyway yeah so um and i will say that's so right now that's also what we aim for ideally it's and i've had to explain this too Early on, this fluctuates much more wildly when you bring somebody on or when you take on work because the the numbers that you add in change things just so dramatically. As you have more people and more hours, the things don't. It's not nearly as much of a swing and people can take things more easily. So I'm saying that because we could take on a big client or we could add in one person and then all of a sudden we go from like 60 to 100, right? 
or something weird like that, where it's 100% of the hours are theoretically billable. And what happens realistically then is you say, well, work more efficiently for the time being. And so we're in a position to bring somebody else on, something like that. But um, so anyway, 60% is kind of what we aim for right now. But also with the understanding of if, if people want to make more money, one option is to take on more hours. And that's a very straightforward way to um, like elect for a raise, right? Is to say, I just want more work um, and I'll work more efficiently. And that's cool. That's great. But so before I'd left uh, the last agency I was at too, they were slowly walking that up. And part of it was to become more profitable, which I understand why people would want to do that. Um, but and it could have been partly because of size too. Again, I wasn't wasn't at the top, so I, I can only speculate, but turnover had started to increase, whereas before people didn't really leave at all. <laughs> so that's something I'll want to be very conscious of and just have open talks with too, to make sure like, hey, um, agencies just have the ability to fluctuate so wildly between quality of life of, yeah, I'm happy. And also you got to have the mutual understanding of, and I think they do, especially when you're at a big city, like, hey, you're going to make a ton of money and you're going to work all the time. <laughs> That's the unspoken understanding, even if they don't have the talk about uh, billable hours internally and labor hours. But that's 60 hour weeks will be normal if you want to make over six figures. Right. And in some places, even if you don't, unfortunately. But uh, those are good things to either decide if you're going to run an agency or talk about if you're working at one to see what it's realistically like too. And again, they can change over and they, and they do change over time too, depending on the makeup of the people at the top, their priorities, that sort of thing. So I feel like so much of this for me is just word vomit. Cause I, it's, it's well, you, like you such got, a, you got a lot to say. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just word vomit for me. Cause I, uh, I've showed you before, um, my caliper test results about how I'm, I have a personality of an executive except, um, very high empathy. So I spend, it's like my one redeeming quality. <laughs> I spend so, like too much time thinking about some of these things in a not necessarily productive way. And I just feel too much. So, um, I, I, that's also why I constantly check. I'm like, how you doing? You okay? We good? You're good? Everything's good? Great. Um, but I do, I do it more than I need to. And that's also why I think about with this stuff too. Well, I think it's, I think it's healthy. Like I like the idea of being like, you know, Hey, we realize that the amount of client, the amount of clients or accounts that you're on is exceeding 60%. Um, yes. And we have to hire uh, to help mm -hmm. out or, you know, the owners have to start taking in some more responsibility. And that mm -hmm. just, it just uh, kind of cultivates a really healthy employee dynamic to where like our employees will stay on longer because they're not overworked and we just maintain that good reputation um, with that. But, um, you know, also more importantly, it, it really does give us a blueprint when to hire. I was talking to a guy who wants to come on and work for us. And he's like, yeah, even if it's a free internship, doesn't matter. Like, I just want to like learn what you guys do and, and um, you know, be involved in the business. And so <laughs> I'm not one of those guys that likes to just say, yeah, sure, we'll keep you in mind. And then like never reach out. So I was like, okay, well, man, here is the full status of where we're at in our business. And I told him that, you know, we're at like 60% labor allocation right now uh, for client work. So if every single one of our clients has four hours uh, of labor allocated a month, which isn't true. I mean, some, there is some vari variability, but let's just assume it's four hours. And then, then I was like, uh, if you add all those up, the amount of labor that we have internally is 60% of that 
which is healthy because that leaves 40% for internal work and just kind of organizational stuff. We have uh, an employee increasing their hours to full time in uh, September. No, sorry. It is September in December. And that's going to drop our labor allocation on like 50%. And when it drops that, we are now in a position where we don't have enough work to satisfy a 60% allocation of our employees' work, dedicated work hours. And that means they're either going to have to do things that are value-adding to the company, or they're going to be twiddling their thumbs for a few hours. So we're not in a position to hire there. Even though we have the money to do so, and we can hire someone part-time, we're not going to because it's stupid and then another and then that kind of throws in another wrench is if we do hire because we can afford it what are you going to do and then two what happens if we lose an account or a couple accounts and now we can't afford you that's that's also dumb and i try to base everything off there was like a figure i can't remember if you said it or if this is like this is what like mud wanted or something but for every employee you have what is it like a every client facing employee you they should be bringing in a hundred thousand dollars so if you have if you have five full-time employees, you should have revenue that is five hundred thousand dollars. And yeah, <clears throat> I mean, but that's gonna that's gonna vary though, depending on like internal staff. Like, if you hire a janitor for your office, you're not gonna have that janitor is not bringing in a hundred thousand dollars. So, uh, it, I think it has more to do with client-facing people, but it's just a rough number. Uh, how we do it is we base it off of our internally hourly rate, or at least this is how I do it, and I say. If our internally if our internal hourly rate is one hundred twenty five dollars an hour, and we made this much in revenue uh, this year, divide that by one, or yeah, divide that by how many labor hours we have allocated towards that, and then that's our new hourly rate, or that's how much we made. And if we're over our internal rate, fantastic. We were great with our time, and we didn't overhire when we didn't need to. But if we're under that, okay, we've got some work to do. Where, you know, if we come in at 90 or 100 bucks an hour, where did we spend too much time on mm-hmm. client work? And then how can we cut back on that? I don't know. What kind of benchmarks do you use, Cody? If we're, like, in terms of business growth, how do you measure a business's success based on their labor allocation versus how much revenue they're bringing in? Uh, He's like, I don't. <laughs> it's, I don't even know how to describe it because that's just not the way in which I think, I guess. Um, yeah, I've talked about this with Jenny's dad because he he start I, I start with a process and get to a goal. He starts with a goal and works back to, to think about the process from there. That's how I do so, it. Right, right, right. And I, I like, I'm good at processes. I don't like, this could be a whole thing about how I hate goals and why goals suck. I understand that they're necessary, but time sensitive, time sensitive goals, especially are the worst because usually time is outside of your control. So, um, yeah, I don't even know how to, I'm at a loss here. I'll say, I'll say this. So we have, we have a, um, a competitor. Well, (laughs) two episodes ago, Cody's like, I don't believe in competitors, but we have a competitor. Um, (laughs) uh, and he likes to, I don't want to say brag, but I'll say brag, uh, brag about their company size. And it gives two numbers that are very, that are, that are, you know, impressive. One of them is, uh, they do half a million a year. So 500,000. And the other one they has about, they have a staff of 20. And I'm thinking, just looking at those numbers, like, yeah, those are cool. But then like, if you do the math, you're like, these are terrible. 
This is an awful business model. I would never buy into this. <laughs> you do okay. So I did some quick math, and uh, just just to just to frame this in a little perspective. So um, I think we did our labor. I did our labor hour calculation, and we're coming in close to we're between one hundred seventy five and two hundred dollars an hour uh, labor hour, which means we have room to grow. We have room to either you know add salary, or we have add we have room to add people on board and have the owner still take home some. Okay, so let's just say they have five they have five hundred thousand dollars in revenue. They have twenty employees. If every single one of those employees made ten dollars an hour, so that every single one of them, even the owner, worked part time, uh, or sorry, they only worked ten hours per week. So even the owner. So if everyone, every twenty employees, only worked ten hours per week, what that comes down to is that's uh, uh, fifty two dollars per labor hour. So what you do is you take you take your twenty employees. You multiply them by 10 hours per week, and you multiply that by four. That gets you 800 labor hours per week. And then you multiply that by 12 or 800 labor hours per month. You multiply that by 12. That gives you about 9,600 labor hours per year. And then you divide that by your revenue, $500,000. And that's going to get you $52 per labor hour. So what this means is the company has a gross profit after labor of $52 an hour. Uh, And if you know this the owner will get the gross profit. Like we'll get the profit. So at this, the owner is maxing out at a hundred thousand dollars a year with no profit, no bonuses, nothing. Uh, we didn't even calculate just standard overhead. So even if your overhead is only 10%, which is very low, uh, that's actually, that's what our overhead is without, um, uh, payroll, even without a physical office. yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we we talked a little bit about this in the recession proofing episode, I think last episode, but if it's only 10%, that brings you, oh, sorry, back up for a second. So if you're $50 labor hour and every employee only makes $10 an hour, that's going to bring you down to $42 per labor hour you're, that you're making after payroll or that the company is making after payroll. And then if you take out expenses, so, and then when we're only assuming expenses are 10%, then that brings you down to 37 ish dollars per hour uh, after all of payroll and expenses, which means the maximum the owner can take home is 74K a year before taxes. And that leaves you no room to grow, no room to add anybody, and no room for bonuses even for yourself. It also leaves you no room for uh, additional expenses or marketing or anything. So in my mind, if you brag about $500,000 a year, you should only be bragging about having five employees with that. Mm. You you say you have 20 employees. I'm like, what are you doing? You are running your business into the ground, brother. Well, yeah, you position it that way too. If, if you said, hey, Cody, um, how would you like to have a business where you make 70K with 20 employees, I'm going to say, no, thanks. Go away. Like I, I don't <laughs> want to be in charge of, of 20 people making that little money. I mean, now that I'm not saying it's bad money, but it is to manage 20 people. Yes. I would say that's very bad money. Oh to yeah. Be in charge of that much. If you're, even uh, if you're working for a company and you're managing 20 people, like your salary should be six figures. Yeah. And in this model, you can't pay someone six figures. They're like your maximum, your, your highest paid employee would be like 40 K. I, I wanted to clarify a couple things too, though, because people like it could it could potentially look bad to say, well, our goal labor hours, if it's 125, why are we up to 175 or higher? So we, when it comes to uh, minimum pay, employee pay, we base that off of monthly recurring revenue, and we do that because it's much more safe, secure, and stable. And if we didn't do that, we would put ourselves in a position where pay would become dependent 
on our ability to acquire business that's one-off. And that's a very scary thing. And I don't, um, granted, we also hand out bonuses twice a year too, as as a percentage of our profit. So that's another type of incentive structure that we have too. So they do see when we get those one-off jobs that they also help out with too. And, and then we also have that buffer too, when it's 60% of billable hours, we're, we're again, basing that off of monthly recurring, the stuff that's locked in. So yeah, things are higher. And that's because we've done a lot, a lot, a lot of one-off jobs. But to be fair, you and I are also the ones doing a lot of those one-offs because uh, they take advanced stuff that's not easy for um, our employees to do yet. It, because... it's, not, it's not all just one-off jobs, though. We do have the one-off jobs that are more custom, but it's also onboarding, which are technically one-offs, yes, yeah. but they're like leading into monthly reoccurring. But we don't factor yeah. in monthly onboarding into... Um, a lot of things. We don't factor it into our capital expense allocations and we don't factor it into just kind of business planning in general. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we base it off of, we basically base the, well, how we're going to pay off of what we feel is stable and secure and solid. Another thing I wanted to bring up too, though, was about um, us getting to a point of offering full-time jobs and that sort of thing. Um, Given our size, which is still rather small, um, those turn into discussions too. I mean, discussions that we lead, yes, but also explaining the situation so that there's some level of transparency. Not too much so that it scares them. <laughs> we don't want to scare people. Because um, I, I remember, I, I talked about it before when like I was at the startup and then like two of the three founders left within like my first three months or something. And I was going home like, what? what is going on? What is that? Do I have a job <laughs> Everybody's like, abandoning ship and you're just like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Like, will my checks keep coming? Like, what happened? I, I don't want this to be a situation where I just keep showing up and don't get paid. No, but so there's there's a balance to giving them enough information to realize where where we're at and what we're capable of doing. And then also um, not scaring them because they don't make, you know, fully understand or care to understand the more intricate parts of the business. Every time we lose a client, I always explain to them why. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, I don't want you to think that we're, I mean, churn is a natural thing. You're going to lose clients. And, um, you know, hopefully you don't lose clients on bad terms, which is not how we typically lose clients. I think we've only, there's only been one client that's actually left us on bad terms, but that's because we fired them. Uh, everybody else is usually having some kind of internal business structure. They, they quit monthly marketing because they can't handle the leads, which is a good and a bad problem. It's bad because we don't get their money. It's good because they're growing and our marketing is effective for them. Uh, the other situation that they quit, uh, we just had it recently. Uh, someone sold their business to someone else to go work for their dad, which is awesome. Cool. They got a really big paycheck, but we also lost a client in the process. Mm-hmm. And so when things like this happens, I just open up the, the Google Meet or the Google chat. I was like, hey team, uh, we this client's no longer doing monthly marketing. FYI this is what happened. <laughs> like we didn't do a bad mm-hmm. job. We're not shrinking in size. This is just happening. And and you can do this when you're smaller and I guess scrappier like us, or I should say you should do this uh, when you're bigger and you have tons and tons of accounts and tons of employees. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you, you lose, you, you lose some, you win some. And for us, it's important because we're uh, leading into having an employee go full-time and her hours going full-time is contingent on where we are at in our MRR and our labor allocation as we just, yep. we can't make decisions just because she deserves it. Which she does, but we could make things worse for all of our employees if we make decisions like that that aren't um, numerically backed. Yep. Yeah. It's weird sometimes because I have 
I, when you have these talks of like, I run a business, people are like, oh, what kind? Are you hiring? And that sort of thing too. And and trying to explain like where we're not at in the business. And I'm like, look, we, we're doing okay. We are not yet into the position of giving people very cush six-figure jobs with amazing benefits. Like we are not, I, w- I want to get to that size and I'll be very excited when we do. Um, but I just want to be transparent when people are like, oh, are you hiring? What are you looking for? And I'm like, look, if that's the level that you're at in your career, you're like mid to high level already. Our business is not yet to a size to support those jobs. So dude, that's my biggest problem is like, I want to hire everybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, all my, like everybody I know um, who aren't necessarily like super close to me, but like, I, you know, somewhat friendly. They're just like, are you hiring? Like, I want to, you know, that'd be cool. Really, you know, it'd be really cool to work with you. I'm like, yeah, I would love to hire you, but also I can't. <laughs> like, aren't you the business owner? Like, that's not how it works, man. Like, I would be a bad business owner if I was just like, yeah, you know, we'll find something for you to do and then, mm-hmm. you know, pay you uh, $10 an hour for five hours a week. And that, well, yeah. That was uh, college for a lot of my friends, too. Maybe they had a really nice boss. They were really happy and they liked them. But then they would complain the opposite way and say, yeah, but they hired too many people and we only get five hours a week or something. Like, well, it would be better if you just didn't get as many people and then we're able to do more for them individually than try to help everyone. Yeah. And then, like, I'd rather it's kind of like... um... It's like a, it's like a war of attrition at that point. Like you bring someone on for ten hours a week just because you wanted to bring them on, and then you've got to take ten hours away from somebody else. When, mm-hmm. like, when Lisa goes full time, for instance, she's probably going to be doing things that she's not used to. Like, might she might help you out with the books, uh, with it with invoicing and things like that. And we can bring someone on ten hours a week to do that, and that's like their only job. They have a specialized role. But then when she goes full time and she, you know, we're, we're balancing that point of, uh, do we have enough client work for you to handle? And then can we give you more internal work to keep you busy until we have more client work? But if we have somebody already handling the internal work, then she's legit twiddling her thumbs and not able to do really anything value driving. So, uh, we just try to keep that in mind and you have to really separate your feelings from the business and who to hire. But I've got like three people that I really want to uh, hire, but first is we mm-hmm. have we have to make sure that it makes sense with labor hours that we have, and then two, they still have to go through the interview process because I'm not gonna bring a friend on or someone I know just because they're a friend or someone I know when they could be actually bad for the business. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you that Lauren was reading this book uh, by uh, God? I don't know the son of uh, Estee Lauder. I, I can't mm-hmm. remember what it's called, um, but he's uh, he he wrote about his mom starting Estee Lauder, and she had this friend, this really close friend that was super good at sales, and she wanted to work for her. And Estee said, "Pussycat, I can't hire you because I can't fire you." And mm. it's called the I think it's called like the Pussycat clause, and it's basically it basically says that if if you can't fire somebody or if you're going to have trouble firing somebody because of who they are in your life, you shouldn't hire them. And mm. I usually tell close friends and family that Hey, me telling you I can't hire you, I'm not going to hire you is actually a compliment because that's me telling you that I wouldn't be able to fire you because I like you as a person. But it's You know, like, I do the opposite, right? Like you, 
you know what I've said when because oh, it doesn't yeah. happen often because most people know me well enough at this point. But the first thing I tell them, and it usually works, is when they're like, "Hey, you know, job hire." I'm like, oh, "Yeah." The first thing I want you to know is I'm the opposite. I am the opposite of nepotism. I know it's not phrased correctly, but I I anti like <laughs> friends and family, and I will be harder on you, way harder on you, because I want people to know that this was not a favor. You're, you're so, uh, nopatism. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's scared. There's, yeah. And it, it'll trigger people sometimes and it'll scare them off. And I'm like, well, good. Cause that's exactly what I want. I feel like it happen. scared everybody off. I feel like everybody. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, I am too, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm too empathetic or I like everybody too much and I give people the benefit of the doubt. So I would rather just, you avo- are too nice yeah, just in general. I, don't know. Uh, I would rather just like <laughs> not hire somebody because I don't have to deal with firing them or like, you know, having, because then, you know, you damage the personal relationship and it's just, I don't know. I, not my cup of tea. I do, it is funny because I do have people in my family I would hire, which speaks volumes about how much I care about them. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll hire you because I can definitely fire you. I have no problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's almost like if you're a friend or a family of my, family member of mine and i i do let you go through the interview process uh you should be worried about our personal relationship <laughs> like you don't actually want to do this like like i like you enough i like you enough to give you a shot at the company but not enough to be afraid to fire you <laughs> yeah, like we should have more cookouts or something because i'm clearly not doing something right but <laughs> yeah. nobody knows that until like you know they hear this episode and they're like and they're like working for us and they're suddenly like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you are you're definitely uh you're definitely a accommodating guy like i I think you you're very you're willing to help people and go out of your way and stuff and there are times when like you'll you do stuff and i'm like we've joked around with it before where i'm like yeah i wouldn't do that for my family man so that was when (laughs) yeah when lauren's brother got that dog and we're like yeah we can watch it for Mm. six months until you find a new place yep and that was just in the interest of the dog of course but you're like yeah i don't think i would do that (laughs) (laughs) like well we have this huge yard and it's like we already have two dogs what's one more Mm. so you know not a big deal to me you're a nice guy man i i i think i scare people because i do the opposite because i have high empathy but zero accommodation so i'll listen to their story and be like yo that is tough i (laughs) feel you i understand that sucks what are you gonna do like, <laughs> I'm not doing anything. They're like subtly giving you it. hints of like, can you help me out? But you're just like, man, that sucks. Like, mm, yeah, no, that's tough. I don't know how you're going to deal with that. Yeah, I don't no. know how I would deal with that, but I know I wouldn't ask for help. I would do that myself. I, that's what you should do. Yeah, I usually <laughs> try to help people out because I always imagine myself in their shoes. Like, what, you know, would I be seeking help? But there are situations where I'm like, nah, you're on your own. And it's usually if, yeah. like, you annoy me or, like, you ask for my help too much, then I'm just kind of like, uh, okay. Or you burn you too much. Like, gotta uh, be. Well, if people burn me, I don't even respond to them. Yeah. I think it's pretty easy to tell if you've burned me. Uh, I just, you know, like, Lauren's brother kind of burned me with getting, you know, getting, getting rid of the dog and us offering to take it. And I don't know if listener knows this, but I have a very high empathy for dogs and I love dogs. And if you get a dog and you give it away, you're a piece of shit. There, I mean, there are, there are certain situations where it is, you know, acceptable. Like, you know, you, you are sick and you can't take care of it and you give it away to a family member or you go overseas or something like that. There are certain situations, but. And to be fair, we disagreed on this, but this is, we agreed on this. Like yeah. we disagreed on how we would handle this, but you're like, you're a piece of shit. I was like, I agree. If yeah. You, like, if you like get if, a dog and 
you, if you get a dog and you like literally can't take care of it because like you just don't want to or you don't want to put up with like potty training it or, yeah go for <laughs> oh, i'm a swore <laughs> go kiss my ass <laughs> mm-hmm. and and um, he burned me with that and i i know he's afraid of being a failure i know he's afraid of like failing raising this dog and in my mind you're worse than a failure because you gave up <laughs> and like i would rather have you failed but but yeah he just he just gave up and i'm like okay well you know i i'm kind of done with you it just it's just a big character thing it's like it don't get a dog if you can't if you can't take care of it it's that easy and it, it had only been like four weeks i'm like are you serious so anyways that's my rant i i know i've got some listeners that have probably surrendered a dog and they're just like you know what screw this guy <laughs> that's my that's my number one pet peeve i mean prove me wrong but don't get a dog if you can't take care of it yeah i think i mean i I don't think very many people disagree with that. I think just how they would, the different ways that you could handle it and play it out. Dude, we, okay, long story short, you got a dog without checking with his apartment, whether or not you could have a dog. Uh, he had it for like three, three, four weeks. Apartment said, no, you can't have dogs. So then he's like, all right, uh, you know, he was like devastated. Like, and I'm like, hey, we'll take it for six months until your lease is up and then you'll get a new dog or you'll get a new apartment. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm just going to get rid of it. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> no. And I was like, you literally have people that are willing to take the dog off your hands for six months and give it back to you. He's like, no, if you take it off my hands, it should just be yours. I'm like, okay, you're just trying to get rid of it now. And that's what like got me pissed off. Thanks yeah. for listening to me rant. <laughs> I, I'll just say nothing because I, I don't even have like, I just, I don't know. Because people, I don't know, people handle these sorts of things different ways and you have to know their feelings to kind of know what's going on. But in general, like I, I do think like I'm a very, I'm huge on shame and dishonor. Like I feel it when I mess up. I think other people should feel it. Something you used to make fun of me for this because I'd, I'd tell people like when they do something, I should be like, you should feel ashamed. Like, you, <laughs> you should feel bad and you that's what you should feel right now. You should feel shame and you should feel dishonor about your life choices. And <laughs> I say that because that's what I feel when I go through those things. So if like, yeah, I don't know if I just wouldn't get into that situation. I I don't know. I, I wouldn't get yeah. an apartment if I, but if I did, I'd be like, yes, deep shame. Well, Deep Lauren really wanted to take the dog. She's like, "Well, can we just take it like forever?" Like this, I was like, "No." <laughs> like we already have two dogs. Look, capped out. Well, yeah. Well, and we're remodeling. I'm like, look, at a certain point, we could be ready for a third dog, but this isn't the point. And like, we're financially stable. We have a we have a really nice size yard. We're good, but we're not, we're not gonna make a decision based off of feelings or emotions right now. Uh, if mm-hmm. we get a third dog, it's gonna you know it's gonna be uh, thought out. And this is exactly what we did with our second dog, and it worked out great. Yeah, things were tough for a little bit, but like uh, with everything that's going on right now, we just we don't have the time for a third dog, and we will. Maybe it'll be six months from now, but it's just it's not the right time, and that's the logical decision making that you should go through when deciding something like that. <sighs> just like hiring employees, just like labor <laughs> hours. Thank you for listening. (laughs) All right, let's wrap it up. So a really important thing to keep in mind is how many labor hours you have internally. Make sure you're not overburdening your employees. And then assign an allocation to your client labor hours versus internal labor hours. Ours is 60-40. We want our employees to be at 60% labor hour capacity. Could be slightly above, could be slightly lower, but right around that mark pretty healthy and then that'll give us a blueprint whether or not that we can hire give bonuses give raises um but also keep in mind how much how many labor hours you're allocating towards client given how much your clients are paying you uh so if you're closing at the year at five hundred thousand dollars and you've got 20 employees you're doing something wrong 
you did something horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, go back to episode one and start this entire know series internal, over. Know your labor rate. That's important too. That's mm-hmm. also a part of it is knowing your rate and sticking with it as close as you can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's really all there is. I mean, it, we had really two main important things about labor hours, and we just dragged it out for an hour. Yep. So good. I'm gonna guess. Okay, we're at we've been recording for 58 minutes and in 12 seconds. Jeez. I bet when I cut this, it's gonna be down to 45 minutes. Good. That'd be good. We'll see. I guess. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. See ya.